0: Thank you so much for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations, and our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about Our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Have you heard the phrase, we have nothing to fear, but fear itself? Heard that phrase before? Yeah, Franklin D. Roosevelt said that phrase in his 1933 inaugural address. And it was pretty interesting. Those words were not first with him, but he echoed a sentiment when sharing those words that really captured what was going on in the country at that time. Remember, 1933. Everybody in the country was experiencing something that nobody had ever experienced before. 1929, the stock market crashed. What was a season of prosperity and wealth and confidence was quite the opposite. It had completely changed. It was, it was so different. Everybody was going through something, listen to me, that nobody knew what was coming next. Everybody who thought they were an expert about all the things that there were to be an expert on during that time found out in short order they didn't know what they were talking about and nobody knew how to tell anybody else what to do next and how to do it. And it was a crazy, crazy time during this time. The Great Depression was well underway. And I know we know a little bit about a great recession that happened in 2007, 2009. Let me give you something just for context here that's important. During that time that we experienced, 2008, 2009, we saw record 10% unemployment, okay? For those of you that don't know or don't have your history books right in front of you, the Great Depression saw 24% unemployment. Big deal. Our gross domestic product, the, the measurement of the engine of our economics, um, during our recession recently, 4.3% decline. During the Great Depression, they were looking at 30% decline. Big deal. Lots going on, and President Roosevelt in his inaugural address stood up, and to his fans, to the people that were all about Team Roosevelt and all excited and, and on board with him, they thought his address captured a sentiment of fear that was plaguing the nation. Here's actually what he said. Here was the entirety of that quote. He says, so first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Look at these next words. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. Sounds like he's talking to us today too, isn't it? Isn't that crazy? To, to his fans, he hit the nail on the head, but to his critics, he, they thought his statement simply ignored the fact that what was happening was very real, that lots of people were hurting. And to them, the world needed a whole lot more than just a positive mental attitude to overcome the challenges that faced them. To them, they had a lot more to fear than fear itself. The country was divided. Sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? Divided. How many of you realize fear can be uh, pretty devastating, can it? Yeah, of course you know that. Today, people are hurting, they're sick, they're exhausted. People are hopeless, and the reality is people are afraid. They're afraid. My, uh, my dad used to tell me that people do stupid things when they're afraid. Anybody relate to that? You've you, you done something crazy? You ever hurt yourself or damaged something because you were afraid uh, of that? When, when we have a conversation soon and you're close enough to me, take a look at my forehead. I have a scar. It's very faint but I have a scar, runs right down the center of my forehead from the time I was playing out near a barbed wire fence and somebody started a backhoe nearby and it scared me and I just wanted to get away from that. I took off, smack dab into that barbed wire fence and it split my forehead wide open. Not the smartest thing to do, but people don't do smart things when they are afraid. My dad, the same man who told me that, is also famous for shooting a hole in the wall trying to kill a spider with his handgun because it was close and the spider was too close. Um, Again, people do some silly, silly things. You want to see some fun stuff on YouTube, pass a good time. Get on there and watch the kind of things people do when they scare their coworkers. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You've seen some of those videos. People do some crazy things. Word to the wise, stay away from arm's reach when you try to scare somebody. Depending on their temperament, you might get punched. There's, uh, there's also some fun things to see uh, out there. Y'all seen, my kids showed me this, they're, they're fainting goats. Have y'all, y'all seen these, these goats? It's a real deal, I'm not making this up. The stuff you learn at our Savior's Church. These goats are out just trying to have a good time, enjoy themselves, being around people, and if you clap and stomp and scare them, they just freeze up, and they literally pass clean out. And it's, it's funny to watch, but the reality is, I look at a lot of people today, they get scared and they're a lot more like those fainting goats than they are those scared co-workers that take a swing. A lot of people when they get scared don't, they just, they just tense up, they just tense up. Fear is more than a common emotion and that's, that's, that's what I've been chewing on over the last several weeks that I wanted to share with you. Fear is not something that just affects us physically, it's not just something that affects us emotionally. Fear also affects us spiritually, and that's a big deal. That's a very big deal. I'm going to tell you a couple things about fear so we can be on the same page as we go forward in this conversation. Fear is illogical, and it's irrational. It really is. Even the way we process fear happens in an entirely different part of our brain. The part of us that thinks cognitively, that makes the right decisions, that decides how to do things, is in one part of our brain. The part that engages and kicks in and tells you to go run into a barbed wire fence or shoot a hole in the wall trying to kill that spider is an entirely different part of your brain. Fear is illogical and irrational. I'm gonna show you. Let's do a show of hands real quick. How many of you would say these are some common phobias? You are afraid of spiders. Anybody, let me see your hands. Safe, all right, a few of you. Uh, Afraid of water. Yeah, a couple people afraid of water. Um, Heights. Anybody afraid? Tall places, tall spaces, heights. It's not the fear of falling. It's the fear of the sudden abrupt end at that fall that that bothers people. I get that. Clowns. Anybody afraid of clowns in here? It's a real deal. People are legit afraid of clouds. Thank you, Stephen King. Um, Snakes. Who's afraid of snakes? Yeah, different hands going up for different things. Um, How about the dark? You're afraid of the dark couple of hands going up. How many of you are just afraid to raise your hand in church for anything that the pastor says? (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to get everybody's hand up at some point uh, in time. Notice not everybody raised their hand for the same thing. If it was rational, if it was logical, we'd all raise our hands for the same thing and the things that weren't. But it's different, every one of us. Listen, fear is illogical and it's irrational. Fear is also self-serving. It will cause you to put yourself first and put other people last. I don't have to be faster than a grizzly bear chasing me. I just have to be faster than you. It's true. I hope you've been practicing. If you and I are ever out in the woods having a conversation and we come across a bear, I love you. But I hope you've been practicing. It's self serving. Fear does that to people, doesn't it? it? It does. Fear is also paralyzing. Fear will cause you to stop when you should go, cower when you should stand, give in when you should have resolve. Fear will do that. It's paralyzing to you. And here's the worst part you ready? Fear is contagious. It's contagious. It doesn't just affect you and stay with you. A lot of people think if they're afraid, it just it stays all up here. Not true. It affects those around you. It affects your children, affects your family, affects your loved ones and those closest to you. There was actually a sociological experiment that happened a while back. They were studying the impact of fear on a crowd or a group of people. They went to an area that was heavily trafficked, people walking around, lots of people going to and fro, not expecting anything, and they would film and record people coming out of nowhere, just haul and tail running, afraid, looking over their shoulder, telling people, watch out, it's coming. And the number of people that had no idea what was coming, that took off running when they saw somebody else, would amaze you. And they actually find the bigger and the stronger the guy they had running, the more people they could get to run with them across the way. It's contagious. And it's a spiritual problem. Fear is a spiritual problem. Y'all do know that the devil cannot win, right? We, we are fighting a battle that has already been won. And if we don't quit, we win. That's, that's the rule. If you don't quit, you win. And if I were the enemy, I would try to do everything I could to get you all up in your head because if he can convince you to stay stuck and coward and timid and overly cautious when you shouldn't be, the enemy then becomes the inner me, and that's when I struggle the most. It's fear. It's fear. Jesus elevates fear from being just an emotion to being a moral deficiency, a lack of faith and trust in him. We read our Bibles, we read a story of the disciples out on the Sea of Galilee and a storm comes in and they're they're worried, they're afraid, they're fearful. Jesus comes walking up. Don't be afraid, he says. Peter, can can I walk on the water with you? Sure, come on. Peter starts looking around at everything else. And he starts to sink because he doubted. In this conversation, Jesus' commandment to them, not, do not be afraid. In the Greek context, it literally means this. Stop letting this happen. You have a choice, he would say in that moment. This is not something that's happening to everybody. It's something that's happening to you. You can choose to stop letting it happen. And then Jesus follows up by saying this. Think about it. Oh, you of little faith. fear. It's fear. And I believe a spirit of fear is the first wave in an attack of an overarching attempt to rob you of the very plan, purpose, and destiny that God has for you. If he can trip you up, get you stuck in fear, he will keep you from accomplishing that which God has for you to accomplish. Fear is a big, big deal. We have uh, five children, as many of you know, and from their youngest ages, I remember our little ones coming up and saying, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of the dark. Or I'm afraid there's monsters under my bed or whatever they could think of to really stay up late and spend time with mom and dad Was what they're trying to do. And I remember from the youngest age, we would tell them, we don't always try to impart just our truth to them. We try to impart the truth of God's word to them in those moments. And uh, we, would, we would tell them this passage from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. We would say, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but a power Love and a sound mind, and I so wanted them to know that and to memorize that. We had gestures and everything. We would say, God hasn't given me a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And to hear their little voices at two and three and four years old, God hasn't given me a spirit of fear, but a power, they would say, and love and a sound mind come on do it with me you know you want to God hasn't given me spirit of fear but of power love and a sound mind see the things you learn in church I'm telling you it's going to help you we're going to close in prayer right right there this this passage is from Paul's second letter to Timothy Timothy's a young pastor, he's installed, he's going about doing the pastoral things that come with a new church and, and, and trying to help all of them. And he's dealing with the realities of ministry, he's leading others, and he's having a particular challenge trying to keep everybody unified. I read that and I thought, man, that sounds a lot like pastoring today as well. I mean, you know, churches are hard to keep unified. The News isn't helping you, social media isn't helping you. Everybody's got an opinion of how things are going to go. And can I tell you, that has been a challenge for churches from the beginning, keeping people unified. There was a pastor who pastored in the early 1900s, and he actually said this about the latest things that were going on. There was all kind of talk about evolution had just hit the science front, and people were worried that that was going to debunk the Bible, and geology was trying to date the earth, and and everybody had their thing. When was the last time you thought about half of that? In church today. Here's what this pastor said way back then, early 1900s. He said, all of these things are like a new shiny toy that everybody wants to play with until there's another new shiny toy and everybody leaves that one to go play with the next one. And they keep doing that and keep doing that and the thing that was the biggest thing is no longer the thing and it's always something else and it's always something else until Jesus comes home and puts all the toys back in the box and we go to be with him. Sounds a lot like our news cycle, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like our media. The things, oh my God, did you hear? Clickbait and trying to sell ads and all of those things. And if you get stuck in that, you're going to be playing with the latest shiny new toy that ultimately one day is going to get put back in the box because it doesn't really matter. Paul's more than teaching Timothy how to overcome fear. He's calling him out, and he's reminding him that this fear that he's facing, that his people are facing, didn't come from God. But the Spirit of God did give us some very important things to utilize. And I want to use those hand gestures and this simple verse as an outline to help you understand just how easy it is to succumb to fear and how easy it is to overcome it as well. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear but of what? Power. power. That's our first word, power. The Greek word we see there in power is actually dunamis. It's, it's a dynamite. Where we get the word dynamite from. It's a big, explosive power. It's not a little pff. God hasn't given you the ability to pff. He's given you the ability to have power in that. And the reality is this, this is an aggressive energy in the face of difficulty that overcomes Weakness. It's in the face of difficulty. It doesn't always show up unless you need it. But the power that God gives us through the Holy Spirit is the kind of dynamite power to say, no, I don't have to listen to that. I don't have to stay into that. I don't have to fall into that kind of power. It comes in the, up when you need it the most. Acts 1.8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Can I tell you, theologically, that's the initial evidence when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, is that there's a power, there's a strength, there's something inside that comes up that wasn't there before. It showed up in that moment when you needed it most. God hasn't given you that spirit of fear. He's given you power. Mary, when she was confronted with the reality that she would, she would uh, carry our Savior through pregnancy and give birth to the Messiah, actually had her fears addressed by an angel who told her this in Luke one thirty five. He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. We can overcome fear in our lives by knowing that we've been given the power of God living inside of us. Listen, what are we afraid of? That same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives inside of us? Are, are we really afraid of some of the things that we're afraid of? God has given us power, but he hasn't just given us power, he's given us what? Love. Love. That word love is agape. There's a, there's a sermon all in itself talking about love and the different representations of, of the Greek words for love and all get translated into our single love, but I'm going to share a couple of these with you. That, that love, agape love, is a divine love. But there's a love in the Bible that you read about. It's phileo. It's, it's where we get the word Philadelphia from, the city of brotherly love. This phileo is a brotherly love type thing. It's a love that has its limits of extent. It only goes so far. Next time we're out walking and we come across a, a grizzly bear, you will get an understanding of phileo love from me because I love you, but it has its extents. You can talk to the bear I'm out of here. Phileo love is a love that has its limits. It has its extents. There's another kind of love. It's, it's eros. It's the word we get erotic from or passionate love. It's the kind of love that has a limit on its time. It's a, it's a limited for its time. Anybody who's been married for any period of time will know that eros, that passion, it fades down over time. Eros has It's limits of time. It only goes so long. But oh, there's this word called agape. And it's the word that is used when God says, I love them. It's a selfless love. It's a love that expects nothing in return. It's a love that has no extent, no limits. It will not run out. It will not fall short. It's the love that goes forward for all times. And that is the love that our Heavenly Father has towards us. We read in John 3, 16, For this is how much God agape loved the world, that he gave his one and his only unique son as a gift. So now everyone who believes in him will never perish, but have and experience everlasting life. Not only has God not given us a spirit of fear, and not only has he given us power, but he's given us the kind of love that we can get nowhere else And that love is the kind of love that we need to overcome this. We can overcome fear by knowing we're loved by a love that has no limits, goes all the way, and lasts for all times. You and I are not left to ourselves. Let me ask you this question again, church. What are we afraid of? What are we afraid of? God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of what? Love. What's the other one? A sound mind. This one's good. It's my favorite of the three. A sound mind. The original word translated for us sound mind means this. It's the act of making sober or calling to soundness of mind, the exercise of a sane and balanced mind. Can I tell you the enemy's tactic is to get us stuck in a spirit of fear, is to first convince you that you have no power to do anything about it, Then he's going to try to convince you that you're all alone and left to yourself. And then he's going to try to convince you that your actions as a result of your fear are truth. It's logical. And not only is it the best option, it's the only option available to you. That's how it works. But God hasn't given us that spirit of fear. He's given us this sound mind. A sound mind is a think about it kind of grace. Just take a minute. And think about it. The ability to hit pause before we react and ask ourselves a few questions. Logically, think this out. What are you actually afraid of? I told you earlier that fear was dangerous because it was spiritual. And we laugh about spiders and clowns and snakes. And, and the reality is those things don't keep us bound up spiritually, do they? No, they, they, they don't. They cause us to shoot holes in walls. Um and run into barbed wire fences, but they don't cause us to get tripped up spiritually. But what about being afraid of forgiving that person that hurt you, that took advantage of you, that had no right to do the things that they did? You can be afraid of forgiving somebody. What about being afraid of standing up for yourself when you know it's the right thing to do and they're asking you to do something that you shouldn't? We can be afraid of those things, too, can't we? What about being afraid of doing the right thing when everybody else is doing something different? Those kind of fears, that's the real deal. That's what gets us caught and bound up spiritually. What about being afraid of what other people think? Fear of man. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. What about being afraid of disappointing your family? You ever walk into that? Man, it got quiet in here real quick, didn't it? It's fear. God hasn't given you those fears. These kind of fears do get us bound up spiritually. And one of the greatest gifts God has given us is the gift of his word and the mind of Christ to be able to place our fears in light of his truth and really ask ourselves, what am I afraid of? Like, really, what am I afraid of? Have a sound mind and think it out. I love this passage in Isaiah. You may not have thought about it in this way, but look at it in light of our context. Isaiah 51, 12 through 13 says this. Who are you that you are afraid? You fear continually all the day because of the wrath of the oppressor. And when he sets himself to destroy, and where is the wrath of the oppressor? When it comes down to it, where is it? We're like those people that see somebody running, afraid of something, and we start running too, but we don't know what we're afraid of. How silly do you think those people felt when they realized nothing's coming? It's an experiment. These kind of things, this where's the wrath of the oppressor? When it comes down to it, guys, it's a question. It is a question. Questioning your fears with the sound mind of Christ and his truth is like unraveling a sweater by pulling a single thread. The enemy has taken much effort and has gone to much extent to weave these things into our lives and into our view. And if you'll just take the time to hit pause for a second and ask some questions about that fear, you'll pull that sweater and all that the enemy is trying to weave up against you will come Unraveling. Y'all with me today? Y'all understanding? Hearing what I'm saying? You don't understand, Pastor Don, I'm afraid that I'll lose my job. I'll be unable to provide for my family. Question, is God not your provision? Is God not providing for you? Well, Pastor Don, I can't, I can't find another job this good. Didn't God give you that job to begin with? Won't he give you another job? See, the sweater's unraveling, isn't it? What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of, church? Pastor Don, I'm afraid of being alone. Afraid of being alone. If I stand up for myself and I get out of this relationship, nobody's ever going to love me again. Let me ask you a question. Who was the first person to ever love you when he was knitting you together in your mother's womb? when he had a plan and a purpose for you that far exceeded anything you could ever hope, think, or imagine. That kind of love. And you're worried about T-boy. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Fear will do that. It's spiritual. Pastor Don, I'm, I'm afraid of not being in control i being in control. Can you make it rain? No. Is it you that's making the sun rise every day? Are you the one keeping the earth spinning on its axis? How much control are you actually in, do you think? Oh, I'm, a, you, I'm, I'm just afraid I can't control. Uh, you're not controlling anything anyway, folks. Yeah. If you take the time and just start asking these questions... The sweater starts unraveling, doesn't it? How good are you? Being in control is an illusion. It's an illusion. It isn't real. We just spent the whole time singing His ways are better, His thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. I don't know about you, I don't want to be in control. I want God to be in control. You ever been given credit for something that people said, man, you did a great job and you know it was God that kind of bailed you out? I'd much rather live my life that way. But the enemy gets us so caught up in our fears. So caught up in our fears. If you'll question your fears, they will unravel. God has given you a sound mind and the ability to do that. Pastor Don, you don't understand, I'm I'm afraid of getting sick. I'm afraid of getting sick. Question, church, how much prevention can you really manage? Is there anything that comes into your hands that doesn't first come through the hands of God? I am not saying throw caution to the wind, but I am saying don't let fear paralyze you. How much are you? Where are you placing your trust Exodus 15, 26 says, I am the Lord who heals you. I am the Lord who heals you. James tells us if we're sick to call upon the elders to pray for us to be healed. The same love that knows no limits and knows no bounds has even provided a way for us if and when we do get sick. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? When you ask the question, the sweater unravels, doesn't it? We have to start thinking this through and questioning our fears. When you just react on instinct, you disregard the power and the love and the sound mind that God has given us. We become illogical and irrational. We become self-serving. We become paralyzing and we become contagious. We become no good for the world around us. An enemy knows that which is why he wants you to get caught. He wants you to be fearful. He wants you to be afraid. Listen to me, church. There is a hurting and dying world out there that needs to know there is life on the other side. They need to know that Jesus makes a difference, not just in my life, but in your life as well, and can make a difference in theirs. But if we're stuck on ourselves and stuck in fear, you won't be the, who, the you who you need to be when they need you to be that person. In church, can I tell you, our pews are filled with people who are brand new to Christianity. And those of you that have been serving Jesus for a long time, they need you to be confident. They need you to be courageous. They need you to be the kind of Christian you know. You've seen some cycles. You've seen some new shiny toys come up and then get discarded. And you're not dismayed by the things that just creep up and seem to take the news cycle or the headline by storm. They need you. But if you're stuck in fear, you're going to bring them along with you. Fear is contagious. You have to confront the lies with a question and use that sound mind that God has given you. Pastor Don, I'm afraid of death. I'm afraid of death. I'm afraid of dying. Let me ask you a question Is God afraid of you dying? Is death permanent? See, I, I read in my Bible to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. That's what his word says here in the truth. He has overcome death, hell, and the grave. What am I afraid of? He's overcome it all. Well, really, Pastor Don, I'm, I'm afraid of the pain of death. I don't want to suffer. At the end of our lives, however it may come, it won't be the pain of death that we feel, church. It'll be the pain of living. You guys were not created to live forever in these bodies. We were created to live forever with him. And I hope Jesus comes back before I get old, but if he should tarry, young people, that means if he should wait, the pain that I'm in won't be pain for me dying. It'll be pain for me living longer than I need to. I'm not afraid of death. Because I know that on the other side is an eternity with my Savior. You just gotta ask yourself some questions. What are you really afraid of? I talk to families at funerals and and one of the things I remind them is, I know you miss them. But the truth is, They don't miss you. They are in the arms of a loving Savior. We prayed for their healing while they were here, and they got it. One way or the other, they got their healing. They're at a place with no more tears and no more fears. No more sickness and no more death. Church, what are we afraid of? Really, what are we afraid of? the apostle paul the apostle paul had fears too and do you know what he did he questioned his fears you can read it in romans eight thirty one. he says what do i have to be afraid what do i say in response to these things if he is for me who can be against me the apostle paul confronted the fears of his life by asking some questions i think we would learn to do the same thing can you find me one verse in the bible just one that says we should be timid that says we should be cowardly that we should be overly cautious or irrationally isolated from each other can you find me one verse answer no then where are we getting this behavior from where are we getting it from i'll tell you It's not coming from this word. It's coming from that spirit of fear that is after your destiny and after what God wants to do in you and through you for the people that are around you. Charles Spurgeon, in a sermon entitled Needless Fears, how appropriate, he said this, Things often influence us out of proportion to their value because of their closeness. It often happens that the less important matters have a greater influence over us than those which are far more important simply because the things of earth are so much closer to us. I would say it this way. It feels bigger because it's closer. For those of us that spend every day in this book, For those of us that spend time listening and communing with God, fear cowers into that kind of relationship. I've said this to you before, the thing that you keep before your eyes will be the biggest thing in your life. Even this book, smaller than every single person in this room, when I hold it right here, it's bigger than all of you combined that you keep before your eyes would be the biggest thing in your life and if you keep in Fox News and CNN and social media and your news feed in front of your eyes like this no wonder you're afraid but if you allow those things to have the right perspective church there is nothing to fear it's a lie it's not true let me ask you what feels closer to you today The things of this world are the things of heaven. Because if the things of this world feel closer than the things of heaven, you're going to take them out of proportion. And you're going to put your hope in that thing, that shiny new toy that's ultimately going to go back in the box. God doesn't want us to be that kind of Christian. Do you know that if you died today, where you would spend your eternity? How close does heaven feel to you? And ask everybody to bow your head and close your eyes. And I want you just to listen to the sound of my voice and the sound of the Holy Spirit as he speaks to you from the inside out. See church, the solution to fear isn't to have courage, it's to have peace. Jesus said this in John 14. He says, I give you peace, the kind of peace that only I can give. It isn't like the peace that this world can give. So don't be worried or afraid. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, then you don't know this peace that he describes. And you can be closer to heaven than to this world from right here where you sit today. Jesus said you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You cannot even see the kingdom of heaven unless you've been born again. Unless the Holy Spirit comes to you and awakens that dead part of your spiritual life and allows you to see the things that you see from a spiritual lens and not just a physical, an earthly, a temporal lens. I would say it this way. It's it's as simple as A, B, C. Giving you the ability to admit, A, that you're a sinner. That your decisions, succumbing to the fears that you've succumbed, and the actions and even the thoughts that you've had made you a sinner and has separated you from a holy and a righteous God. It's B, believing that God sent Jesus, his one and only son, with agape, divine love that has no limits and no bounds to pay that price for you pastor sean told you earlier bible says without the shedding of blood there can be no remission of sin believing that jesus came and lived a life you couldn't live to pay a debt you could not pay and then at sea, the ability to confess him as lord and savior that his way is better and if you're here today and you say pastor don i I want to know that kind of love. I want to know that kind of power. I want to have that kind of sound mind. I want you to know this, church. I prayed for you today. I pray that God would speak to you, that those of you here today that don't have that relationship with Jesus, that don't have that peace, that feel closer to this world than you fear, than you feel to heaven, I prayed that God would open your heart and your mind and that he would cause you to be born again so you would see those things. I prayed for you today if you're here and you say, Pastor Don, I want to be born again. I see it. God has answered your prayer for me this morning, and I'm ready to be born again. I'm going to ask you to lift your hands. Nobody's looking around. Not going to want to embarrass you, but if that's you and you say, Pastor Don, pray with me this morning that I'd be born again. God's doing a work in my heart. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Go ahead. Raise your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand thank you i see your hand anybody else thank you i see your hand what god has done has been a work of the holy spirit on your life he's come and changed you from the inside out you now see things differently and i want to pray a prayer with you and invite you to pray this prayer with me church we're all going to pray this prayer together to symbolize the fact that nobody walks through christianity alone but those of you especially that raised your hand repeat this prayer after me dear Lord Jesus I believe that you're the Son of God I believe that on the cross you took my sin my shame and my guilt and you died for me I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven a purpose on earth and a relationship with your father today Lord Jesus I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. I declare that God is my father, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit is my helper, and heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, let's celebrate with those who raise their hand and be born again. For those of you that did make that decision today, there is a blue Get Connected card in the back of your pew pocket in front of you. In that card, on that card, you can give us some basic information. There's a box that says, I have decided. And I would not be the pastor to you that I want to be if I didn't give you an opportunity not just to make that decision, but to connect with the relationships needed to walk this out. And in just a little bit, I'm going to invite our pastors and our prayer partners to come to the front. They'll be up here to be able to pray with you as we dismiss. You can even leave that that card in the pew where you are if you have to run out of here. But I want you to take those steps to continue to allow God to bring you closer to heaven than you are to this world, so that the spirit of fear that is so rampant in everything that's going on doesn't impact you the way that it's trying to. Amen? How many of you enjoy the word today? Yeah. I also know in our, in, in our service today, I prayed for those who've been a Christian for a while. And I prayed that God would show you areas and <clears throat> ways in your life where you've been fearful. And I pray that he convicted you and I pray that he has shown you ways that you're doing and living and thinking that are contrary. and I'm gonna give you a couple of action steps if I can for those of you that are born again, that, that are Christian, that should know better but haven't been doing better can I give you a couple of those here's, here's the first thing I want you to do you can do it right here right now while I'm talking you can do it in the pew when I'm done or you can do it on the way home I want you to repent I want you to repent for giving place to something that has no place in the life of a believer I want you to repent for giving more clarity to something that's not true than you give clarity to something that is true in your life I think all of us in some way or another, can easily buy into fear if we're not careful to do that. Here's the second thing I want you to do. Release it. Repent and release. It's as simple as saying, I release this fear in the name of Jesus. It is not from God, it is not of God, and it's not who God wants me to be. And I let it go. I no longer allow it to control me the way I think the way I act or the relationships of the people that are around me, I release this fear in Jesus' name. And then thirdly, I want to ask you to renew. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Repent, release, renew. I want you to get closer. I want you to take those things that are so right here in front of your face that they seem bigger than everything else and I want you to put them in their proper place and then I want you to get into this word and put it in its proper place in your life so you can do that. Amen? Amen. Repent, release, renew. Stand to your feet so I can pray a blessing over us today. I want to remind you, Monday nights, we grow in prayer. Every Monday night at 6 o'clock, whether you've been born again for 2 minutes or 20 years, I want to help you move the ball in your prayer life. It's one hour sharp. You will be out of here at 7 p.m., I promise. But every week, we're growing deeper in our relationship with God and in our ability to pray. I want to invite our pastors and prayer partners to come up front. They are here for you if you want to pray or share what God is doing in your life. They'd love to hear from you. I pray that you'd live holy and that you'd be led by the Spirit, that you'd be in the Word and in prayer every single day. I pray you'd be fearless in taking the gospel to your community, that your life would be marked by obedience, and that you'd stay on mission making disciples.